0: the yeshiva.net.
1: very complicated, and much of it seems completely irrelevant nowadays, but really, if one takes the time and the effort and delves in to Parashas Vayikra, the beginning of Sefer HaKarbonis, the book of sacrifices and offerings, it is not only fascinating on an intellectual level, but also on an emotional level, on a psychological level, and on a spiritual level, and one can really glean infinite insights into elements that are practical till our very uh, uh, are practical in our very day life. Because although we don't bring physical sacrifices or offerings today, we haven't for close to two thousand years. The theme that the parsha represents verse by verse, still challenges us and speaks to us today. And today I want to employ and discuss one example of that in Parshas Zayikra. Generally, a brief introduction is necessary. There were different types of karbanas, different types of offerings that were brought first in the Mishkan and then in the Beis HaMikdush. Basically, all carbonas can only be brought from five minhnen, from five types of living creatures, no more than five. Number one, you have the bucker, the ox. Number two, you have the tzayim, the sheep, the keves. Number three, you have the ays, the goat, whether female or or, or male. But you have the ox, you have the sheep, you have the goat, and then you have two birds, Tyron and Bnei yana, turtle doves and young pigeons. Those are the only five living creatures from which any carbon was ever brought, besides, of course, meal offerings brought from grain. There were only four types of carbonus. Four types. You have a carbon oila, a carbon shlomim a carbon chatas, and a carbon asham. An oila, a chatas, an asham, and a shloman. Those were the four types of offerings which had different procedures and different laws governing each one. There were another three that relate to an individual, p'choyr, meiser, and pesach. Altogether seven. So you have oila, and chatas, asham, which could be either communal or individual. And then you have another three individuals, Phoir, Meiser, and Pesach, which are another three types of carbonas that have their own laws governing them. Today, we're going to explore the carbon chattos, which in English you would translate as the sin offering. Okay, so you can all look in. <laughs> A person who commits a sin inadvertently and the Torah goes on to list different categories of people who may commit this sin inadvertently and the result is the law is that this person has to Bring a carbon khatas during the time of the mishkan of the beis You made two, two pictures. There's two two source sheets. Okay. Thank you, thank you, Rabbi Mechemia Kaplan. There's a second sheet one. Can somebody bring over the second one too? I have the first. This one. The first one starts with Apostle. The second one starts with chulin. I guess it would have been easier to number the pages, but uh, that's modern technology. The first one starts with a pasig by Hidabar Hashem, and the second one starts with the word chulid. Gamar and Chulin. Okay, everyone has the women you got, the men have. Thank you. Thank you very much for bringing it up. Look at source number one. Speak to the children of Israel, a person who sins inadvertently and commits commits a sin, violating one of the commandments of Hashem. Hashem said not to do it, and this person did it. And the Torah goes on to discuss the law that this person as a result of this inadvertent, mistaken sin, which we call a shaygei b'shagah, must bring a chatas offering. What does the chatas offering consist of? It could be one of two things, either a female goat or a female sheep. The chatas chatas of an ordinary individual who commits an inadvertent sin is always a female animal, either a sheep or a goat, that is the person's choice. The Rambam sums up the halacha in Hilchis Shgagah's favorite aleph. In the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, the laws of inadvertent sins, the first chapter, the opening halacha, this is what the Rambam says. Every word here is precise. Somebody who transgresses inadvertently, doing one of the mitzvahs lo one of the mitzvahs that the Torah says, you're not allowed to do, and this person does it by mistake. And it's a type of mitzvahs lo meaning it doesn't involve thoughts or verbal or a verbal declaration. It involves a ma'asan action. (laughs) And it's not only something the Torah prohibits. The penalty for it would be death, being cut off from heaven, a heavenly death penalty, such a type of sin, and he does it, or she does it by mistake. (laughs) This person is obliged to offer a sin offering. (laughs) It's a positive commandment that in this case he should bring an offering for his or her inadvertent sin. And the Rambam continues, how many, how many sins warrant such a type of offering? How many do you think? There are 365 negative commandments. But how many of them qualify for a katas based, based on the qualifications? It has to be a mitzvah loisasa, it has to be a mitzvah loysaseh, action, right? Somebody, for example, who... Uh, Gossips or slanders—you're not allowed to say lashon but there's no ma'isa of a God, if somebody who curses chas There's no ma'isa, and it has to be yeshvu There's a death penalty for it. So how many are there? Anybody? <laughs> Forty-three. Forty-three. Forty-three sins can warrant a carbon chatos, and the Rambam lists them off from the Mishnah of all the mitzvah when it comes to immoral relationships there is a possibility of 26 and all other avedas 17 the Rambam lists 26 and 17 and the Rambam lists them all off and you have the list and you have the list Somebody worships idolatry with an action, not just verbally or in thought, in an action by mistake. <speaking in Hebrew> he gives his children to an avodah Baloy, bal Different types of sorcery. <speaking in Hebrew> Classic example: somebody violates the Shabbos. Somebody goes and lights a fire on Shabbos. Somebody cooks on Shabbos. Somebody bakes on Shabbos. Somebody plows, plants, builds on Shabbos. Writes on Shabbos. Carries on Shabbos. But it was a mistake. How can there be a mistake? It could be one of two ways. Either they didn't know the fact or they didn't know the law. Either you forgot it's Shabbos or you forgot the law. Then you're not allowed to cook on Shabbos. You know it's Shabbos, but you forgot. You work on Yom Kippur. You forget it's Yom Kippur. Or you forget. You're not allowed to do this Malach on Yom Kippur. This happened to many people, right? You wake up Yom Kippur in the morning. You take a drink. You forget it's Yom Kippur. You eat comments in Pesach. Again, you forget it's Pesach, or you forget you're not allowed to eat chametz on Pesach. chaylev. Somebody eats chaylev. What is chaylev? There's certain fatty parts of the animal that are permissible to eat. We call those shuman, the fatty, uh, healthy parts of the animal. And uh, and then you have the chaylev, which are the forbidden parts of the fat. Ha- and you eat it. Ha-oichel dam. Somebody eats blood. And the Rambam continues, ha-oichel nyser, ha-oichel and he continues, he finishes, These are 43 sins that if a Jew, a man or a woman commits them inadvertently by mistake, and then of course he or she becomes aware of their mistake. So in the time of the Besamiktosh and the Mishka, they were obligated to bring a chatas, a sin offering on these 43 sins, either as I said a female sheep or a female goat. The Torah in Bayikra considers four cases of people who have to bring the Chatas. The anointed priest, which is the Chayengadal. Koha Eida, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, makes a mistake. They also bring a Kirban Khatas. The prince, Asher Nasi the king. And finally, the ordinary Jew, man or woman, who commits any of these avaris brings a carbon the female or, or male or male uh, uh, sheep, uh, female sheep or goat, not male. Now, as we see from the Rambam, the sin offering was not brought for any sin; it was brought for major sin, which means those that wore the penalty of kares being cut off, and it had to be committed unintentionally or inadvertently. Right? So this can happen either, as we said, the person forgot the law, or the person forgot the facts. Now when we speak about a shogit, we have to remember, unintentional sins stand midway between intentional sins and the other extreme. Intentional sins, if I knew what I was doing, and I knew it was wrong, we call that maze it, Then, you can't bring a carbon. A carbon is only atonement for a shoygik, for an inadvertent sin. Mazet has completely different issues. For example, in these 43 sins, if the person did it, mazit is a penalty of karis. Of course, only if the person doesn't do tshuva. The great idea about karis is, since it comes from heaven, so heaven knows if you repent, and then the sin is forgiven. But if it's a mazit, the carbon, the offering, will not help anymore. So it has to be a shaykh. it has to be inadvertent. On the other hand, it has to be a mistaken act. It can't be involuntary action, which we would call an amus. Somebody points a gun to somebody's head and says, eat the blood, that's not called a shaykh. They didn't make a mistake. They were forced to do it in order to save their life. Or somebody does something as a result of a reflex action. So this is completely involuntary. Involuntary actions don't need atonement. The sin offering the carbon chattas is confined to the middle range of cases. You did wrong, but you didn't know that what you're doing was wrong. Even today, there's no base so there's obviously no carbon chattas. The fundamental idea remains the same. When a person commits a sin by mistake, they need atonement. In other words, it's not just a xeris You have to bring a carbon if you make a mistake the fundamental idea is you need atonement. How do we know this? So the Rambam clearly says it. Take a look first of all in Rashi. Rashi Shvu is Beza Medal of Dibra Maschal Toilet. Okay. Rashi says, Shekal HaShoyegin Srichim Any person who does a sin by mistake needs atonement when he finds out. The Pasek says in Noyak, it's a very interesting Pasek, the blood of your souls I will demand. From every living creature I will demand it. And from a person. And from his brother I will demand it. The soul of the person. Now the structure of this posik is a very fascinating structure. But let's see the interpretation of Rashi. I will demand the blood from a person who kills somebody willingly, and there's no witnesses. So nobody, therefore, will punish this person. Somebody actually kills his brother. In other words, he loves him. He's a friend, but he does it by mistake. It's inadvertent. He, too, needs atonement, and therefore, if he doesn't go and seek forgiveness for what he did, I will exact it from him. So clearly Rashi says, A person did something by mistake, they need atonement. The Rambam says the next source. Any mitzvah positive or negative, if a person transgresses them willingly or inadvertently, when the person decides to do tshuva and repent, this person is obligated to confess before God and express their remorse for the past and their resolution for the future. Clearly the Rabbam is articulating the halacha. A person may commit a sin by mistake, inadvertent. They didn't realize, they didn't know, they weren't cognizant of the law or of the facts. And nonetheless, there is the mitzvah of tshuva irrelevant of the Beis Hamikdash or not the Beis Hamikdash. In fact, the Rambam here includes every mitzvah, essay, mitzvah, loisus, which, of course, even in the time of the Beis Hamikdash, would not warrant a carbon chatos, excluding those forty-three that we spoke before about. And here we come to the obvious question: What's the obvious question? Why should unintentional sins require atonement at all? Why does the person have to go and purchase a sacrifice and bring it to the Beis Hamikdash and go through the entire procedure or do tshuva? What guilt is involved? I mean, it seems so unjust and so unfair. The person really did not know. We're not talking about a fake shayeg, a state shayeg. We're talking about an authentic shayeg. God knows the truth like you know the truth. It was a shayeg. You forgot it's in Kippur. You forgot it's Shabbos. You didn't realize this is a forbidden piece of fat. It just looked like a good fatty part of the steak. That's it it was. In a lovely kosher restaurant. Which is usually glat kosher mahadrim and mahadrim The person was as innocent as one can be. Why is there any guilt? Why is it called a sin? Why does one need atonement? That is the question. Practically speaking. Had the offender... Knowing the facts and the law at the time, he would have not done what he has done. The only reason he did it is because of ignorance of the facts or of the law. So why does he have to undergo a process of atonement? How can you hold a person liable? I mean, in our own relationships, can you really hold a person liable when he had absolutely no intention of doing anything wrong? There was no malicious intent. There was no abusive intent. There was no act of contempt. There was no act of rebellion, it didn't come of laziness, of, of apathy, of carelessness, of immorality, of promiscuity, at all. It was what we call an innocent mistake. How do we make sense of the Chatos? So today, we want to go on a little journey. And the journey is through generations of mefarshim, of commentators, from different World views from different uh, perspectives of Jewish thought, of Jewish machshava, and see how the sages and the rabbis throughout the generations dealt with this question. Why do we bring a carbon chattos? Let's begin with one of the most fundamental works, the Sefer HaChinuch. Sefer HaChinuch You probably know, but I'll say it, is a fascinating work. It's the first encyclopedic work on all of the 613 mitzvahs. If somebody wants to know, what are the 613 mitzvahs? You open up the Sefer Achin of the Book of Education. He lists in the order of the parashius every single mitzvah and discusses its reason, its basic laws and its basic objectives. It's an encyclopedic brief summary of what is the mitzvah, what is the root and the idea of the mitzvah, and some of the basic laws around the mitzvah. That's the Sefer Achimach. Challenges we don't know who authored the Sefer Achimach. It's one of the books whose author remains mysterious till today, although many historians believe it was a man named Reb Aaron Halevi, who's often referred to in Allah literature as Reish Alev Hay, Reb Aaron Halevi, one of the great sages of Spain, of Barcelona, in Spain, who lived in the 13th century in the 1200s and the beginning of the 1300s in Barcelona, many believe he authored the Sefer HaChemuch. If that would be the case, it was a subsequent work that came after the Rambam Sefer HaMitzvah, with the Rambam also made a collection of all of the 613 mitzvah, Sefer HaMitzvahs, a brief paragraph or two paragraphs for each mitzvah. The advantage of Sefer HaKinuch, though, is he discusses the reason for every mitzvah. He finds the reason, often the Hashkafic reason, the spiritual reason, the educational and pedagogical reason. The Sefer HaKinuch discusses this question in Parshas Truma, Mitzvah's essay Tzadike, when he discusses the Beis HaMikdush. Let's see what he says. Haloya Marnu. We have said, the Sefer HaKinuch says this many times. Fascinating insight of the Sefer HaKinuch. Your heart follows your actions. It's not that your actions follow your heart, your heart follows your actions. Which means when you keep on doing something, you develop a connection to it emotionally. Action creates dents in the soul, action redefines emotion. Sometimes people say, I have to wait till I'm emotionally ready. And yeah, in some cases, <laughs> you have to wait till you're emotionally ready. But sometimes, if you wait till you're emotionally ready, you may wait for eternity, because actions often are what <laughs> define emotions. This is a Yisoy in Sefer <speaking> ish <in Hebrew> when a person sins inadvertently, lo yitar li levad, she'yoy Interesting expression. When a person sins inadvertently, he shouldn't only cleanse himself through his lips by turning to the wall and telling to the saying here, speak to the wall and tell Hashem, you know, I sinned, I won't do it again, I'll be more careful. <laughs> what the Sefer HaKiduch really is saying is the whole Shturim, the whole effort around the carbon Chatos is really to teach him to be cautious for next time. All I'm asking you is I know you were innocent, you made a mistake. Be cautious. So therefore, you don't just tell him, okay, you made a mistake. He brings a carbon, he brings an animal, he goes to the of Victor, he takes some of his possessions, and he goes through the whole toil and effort that a carbon demands, both in terms of finances and in terms of personal time and energy. This will inculcate in the person the seriousness of the action, and therefore in the future, he will or she will be sure not to do it again. Very practical, straightforward idea of the Sefer HaChinuch. It's an educational objective. The Ramban, Rabbeinu Moshe Ahmed, the 13th century great sage of Spain as well, of Barcelona, a physician, a doctor, a philosopher, one of the greatest rabbis of the time, who wrote a commentary on Chumash, asks the question in Parsha VaYikra. The Ramban says, you could take a look in your next source. Ramban here, Perik Dalit, posted Beis and Vaikru, Nefesh Kisechta. When a soul sins inadvertently. Zakti Ramban. Is it something I'm saying, or something you're doing, or is this connected to all of the toss? I guess every Maggid wishes on himself to bring the house down,
2: or to bring the roof
1: down, huh? So the Ramban. The Ramban I said, the Ramban lived in the 12th century and in the 13th century. The Ramban says, "Let's read. Fascinating insight. Why does it say nefesh kisechta, a soul that sins? It's a rare expression in Chumash. Nefesh He says because the issue here was awareness, thought. In other words." His machshave, he didn't realize. So therefore, we call it nefesh, which is attributed to the person's consciousness. What's the reason to bring an offering for a soul that makes a mistake? The Rambam is saying, Because there is an objective effect of the action irrelevant of my motivation or consciousness or intention. In other words, sin in any form, intentional or unintentional, makes an impression. It has an impact. It has an impact on the person, and it has an impact on the world. And therefore, the person is not guilty in the sense we're blaming you because you are evil. No, you're not evil, you're completely innocent. What we're saying is, you made a mistake, true, but the mistake has consequences. The Rambam the Ramban says, gnai it creates a stain in the soul. The person ate chametz on Pesach, the person violated Shabbos, the person cohabited in an immoral relationship, inadvertently, it leaves an impression on the soul. It creates a blemish in the world around us. It's a stain on the soul, and therefore, as the Ramban says, the soul is only fit to encounter its maker when it's cleansed. What's his words? To have dvekus, to be able to have a relationship with my Creator, even in this world. One has to be pure. One has to be cleansed. One can't be dirty. One can't be soiled. And if I make mistakes, I have to make amends. I have to fix it. If not for this, all the fools who make mistakes constantly, but they're always sinning by mistake, would all have the same relationship. It doesn't work that way. And that's why the inadvertent soul brings an offering in order to come close and cleanse itself from the sin, from the blemish, to be able to come close to God who imbued the pure soul in the person, Hashem Nasana, and gave it to us pure Tahirihi, and it was blemished. So I have to clean over the blemish. And that's why it also says Nefesh. Because the word nefesh explains why we have to bring a carbon khatis Because you have a soul, and the soul is so pure, and as a result of my actions, even by mistake, the soul experienced a blemish. Therefore, nefesh ki sechda. There's a soul. If you wouldn't have a soul, okay, you made a mistake, you made a mistake. But you have a soul here, and there's an objective impression that is negative, and therefore one needs cleansing. This is what the Ramban is explaining to us. So the Sefer Ach-Hinuch gives us an educational point of view. It's basically for the future. The Ramban says it's not only for the future, it's basically even for this time, because of the objective impression that any sin makes, whether it's mazit or, or it's shaydik I guess if somebody has a, uh, you know, one of the oldest jokes is they say that Moshe Dayan, who was Israel's defense minister, you remember Moshe Dayan had a patch on one of his eyes? It an old joke, he was once driving on an Israeli highway 150 kilometers per hour, which in Israel is not that fast, especially in the week before elections, and... Uh, and a policeman stopped him, and he sees Moshe Dayan behind the wheel, and he says, "General Dayan, you want to serve as a role model for Israeli society? You're driving like a madman. I should quadruple your summons because you know mimenu yiru So Moshe Dayan supposedly looks at the officer and he says, "Listen, Adoni Asher, my dear officer, look at me. I have one eye. Now, what would you like me to do with that eye? Look at the speedometer or look at the highway." if somebody has a uh, impaired speedometer if somebody has a faulty speedometer you're driving on the highway and you don't realize the speed as a result you crash into another car and you wreak havoc and damage the person certainly was innocent the speedometer was broken I thought I was driving according to the speed limit but it was damage done there was damage done, and I'm the one who caused that damage. I didn't mean to. I'm not a bad guy. I wasn't malicious. But I caused the damage. I have to take accountability for it, and I have to pay you for the damages. It's true halachically, and we all understand it rationally and logically. The Ramban applies the same rule when it comes to one's spiritual life, when it comes to one's moral life, when it comes to one's ethical life. The Ramban is very important nowadays. Because there is a trend in Western society, and I believe the first one to have really brought in this trend was uh, Immanuel Kant, that intentions and motives are the key factor in the moral life. The key issue in the moral life is what you were thinking, what you were feeling, what your intentions were. And as long as your intentions were noble, then you're noble. And what the Ramban is bringing out is, That of course intentions are very important. And of course motivations are extremely important. And of course a shogic is not amazing. And the laws are different. But you cannot escape responsibility from the power of actions. I said something, I did something, that hurt somebody. Even with the best motivations, I have to ask forgiveness. I did something even between me and God. It leaves an impact, even if I was innocent. And I have to take accountability for it. So the Torah does not fault us for mistakes, the Ramban The Torah is not telling you you're a horrible person because you made a mistake. That's a horrible idea. That's not what the Torah is saying. The Torah is not demanding perfection. The Torah is demanding accountability. Not perfection. We're all shoykins, we all make mistakes. But nefesh tisekhtah, realize your greatness, you have a soul. And you made a mistake, you were innocent. You know, some people, things happen to them and as a result, they do things to other people. Not knowing better. We all live life with the tools that we have and sometimes those tools are very limited. And suddenly, a few years later, this person is in recovery or this person develops maturity or this person becomes more sensitive to life or or develops more confidence, more wisdom, whatever it is. And I realize, oh, How could have I been so foolish? Okay! Don't be perfect, and don't blame yourself for being imperfect, but be accountable. You have a soul, and other people have a soul. That's what Deir Ramban is telling us. Somebody once sent me a line, he said, if you don't make mistakes, you're not working on hard enough problems, and that's a big mistake. People make mistakes. While one person hesitates because he feels inferior, the other is busy making mistakes and becoming superior. There was a physicist, Niels Bohr, a very famous physicist, and he once said, an expert is a man who has made all the mistakes which can be made in a very narrow field. And when you make all those possible mistakes, you become an expert. You know, there was a, They tell an old anecdote. This is for the Ezra Snarshan. A man once told his wife that she has to listen to him. So she said, Why? he said, because that's how it works she said, why, what's the logic so he said, because men are superior to women so she says, who says so he says, it's obvious look at God he created men first why, why did he create men first, because men are superior his wife told him that uh, you're a shite you're a fool God created men first because we learn from
0: mistakes.
1: (laughs) So, mistakes are inevitable. They're inherent to the human condition. The question is not if I will make a mistake. The question is when I will make a mistake. And the response is not guilt and blaming myself forever that I made a mistake, but taking accountability and making men's I want to point out something fascinating. When the Torah speaks about the four categories of people who have to bring a chatos, speaks about kohen gadol, speaks about the Sanhedrin, speaks about an ordinary Jew, and it speaks about the Nasi, the king, the leader. If you take a look, on each of them it says, If Im, the kohen gadol sins, If the Sanhedrin makes a mistake, when the leader will sin not if so the Sephorno says Rabbi Nevadi Sifarno says it's not a question if it's a question asher means when Rashi Yosef says it means Ashrei. fortunate is a generation that the leader is accountable but it's not a question of if it's a question of when why if you're a leader you make mistakes if you have the privilege of living in a cocoon on top of a mountain, detached from people, then you can be immune of making mistakes. When you're a leader, sometimes you don't have a choice whether to make a mistake or not. By definition, you're involved in an imperfect world with imperfect people, and any choice you make is a mistake. Take the classic example of the Gemara and Git and Daphne and Zion. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Schalye ben what happens? There's the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. The person who's thrown out of the party and is insulted says, I'm going to Rome. Goes to Rome and says, The Jews have rebelled against you. How can you prove it? Send an offering. They won't offer it in the Beis HaMikdash. Right? He sends an offering. And what does this Jew do? He blemishes it, it's now disqualified. The Chachamim see this. What do they say? We have to offer it. We have no choice. It's Pikuach Nefesh. It's the emperor of Rome. It's the Caesar. What does Chaya ben Afkila say? He's one of the great sages of the time. He says, people will say that you're allowed to offer a blemished animal in the Beis HaMittish. We can't. Chachamim say, okay, there's only one other choice. We have to get rid of this person. We have to get rid of this person. It's too dangerous. He's a mustard. He's endangering the whole future of Kal Tz'chayi ben says, but then people are going to say that for blemishing an animal that blooms on the that carbon, there's a death penalty. We can't do anything. What does the Gemara conclude? What does Rabbi Yechon HaMazakeh say? An vosnusoi shol tz'chayi ben Avkilah hechrivo es mikdashenu sorfa es beiseinu vehigle es misro The Anvosnusoi, how do you translate it? The not humility. The piety. The piety. The tzitkos. The humility. The goodness. The Midas chasidus of Zechayi That's what caused the Chorba. Now what was he trying to say? Zechayi was trying to be an Erlich Yid. You don't kill somebody for blemishing an animal. Is it wrong? Yeah, but he doesn't die. And you can't kill somebody for that. And you can't offer a carpet that's blemished. In an ideal world, he was right. But this was a tragic world. This was a horrible world. This was an imperfect world. This is a world where the Roman lion was on your throat. Since Pompeii already came in, before uh, 60 before the Common Era, this was the next century. So, you make the right choice, you're making the wrong choice. You make the wrong choice, you make the right choice. And when you make a wrong choice, it's still a wrong choice, even if it's the right choice. Not if. It's a question of when. Leaders who are involved in real life in a very imperfect and blemished world make mistakes. And this explains a fascinating thing. A fascinating Gemara. Take a look. Shabbos dafnun hayam at Beis. Zogdi Gemara. Four people died for one reason. As a result of the serpent enticing Chava and Adam to eat from the tree of knowledge. That's the only reason they died. The Elohim. Binyamin ben Yaakov, Amram avi Moshe, Yishay avi David, Kolov ben David. Four people. Binyamin the son of Yaakov, Amram the father of Moshe, Yishay the father of David, Kolov the son of David. What strikes you about this Gemara? Anything? What strikes you about these four tzaddikin who were untarnished, unblemished, there was only one reason they died. The only reason they died was... Because it was a from the day Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge, death became part of life. Till the day when Bila Hamovis Lonetza Hashem Shemakim Dima Meal Kalponit, but since till that day this etyosh. There's a partition between the soul and the body, and essentially the person had to live forever because the body is an expression of the soul and the soul lives forever, the body lives forever. But when that partition was created as a result of Etioshokash, that's how the Chachmei on explained explain it. There's a concept of death. What strikes you about this Gemara? Who is not in this list? <laughs> Who is not in this list? <laughs> Moshe is not in this list. Abram is not in the list. Yitzchak is not in the list. Yaakov is not in the list. David is not in the list. It's almost anonymous figures, right? You didn't even know that David Amalek had a son Caliph, did you? <laughs> you didn't even know. How much do you know about Yishai? How much do you know about Amram? Binyamin. And it's interesting, and the Gemara makes sure to emphasize their father's name. We all know who Yishai is. Everybody knows who Amram is? Amram Avi Yishai. One second. Why don't you tell me who Amram's father is? You tell me Binyamin Ben Yaakov. Give me Amram's father. You tell me Yishai Avidavid. Why don't you give me Yishai's father? We all know who Yishai's father was. Ived. We all know who Aram's father was. So we see, what is the Gemara trying to say? The Gemara is trying to explain something. And that is, these four people were very different than either their son or their father. Moshe Rabbeinu was a nasi; he was a leader. He was involved with the people. He stands up to the Rebbein and he says, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were changing the world. Amram, Binyamin, Yishai, Kolev, they were fantastic people. But when the Gemara mentions them, it makes sure to point out either the father or the son to show the contrast, that in order to be able to die you have to afford a life of complete transcendence and segregation. And then you make no mistakes and you're capable of never sinning. Well, some of us, even when we're in segregation, we can still sin. I should just emphasize that. So with their greatness, there's also the component that teaches us, Asher nasi as the Shepharnai says, "omnam davor a human being, a human being makes mistakes, just be accountable for the mistakes. This is the shita of the Ramban. This, the idea of the Ramban introduced a fascinating idea in Halacha, which has been heavily debated. Let me first begin with a practical example. We all know Shabbos, there's a domain called Rosh HaRabim, and if you take out an object from your house into Rosh HaRabim, it's a biblical violation. But many properties, especially in today's day, are called Carmelis. Our Carmelis is a place that biblically, it's not forbidden. In other words, if you take out something from your house, from Rishush HaYecheh to a karmelis, it's a rabbinic violation. It's not a biblical violation, because it's not a public domain. What's the qualification of a Rishush HaRabbi? It's not so easy to make a Rishush HaRabbi. According to some opinions, it has to be a street where 600,000 people walk daily. I mean, there's a machloikos about it. But a real Rishush HaRabbi, in our Torah, is often complicated to, uh, to find, to discover. So here's a question. Let's say you have an Arif. You have an Eirev here in Munsee. And the Eirev is covering properties that are a and not a Rishasar Sarabah, Which means, if the Eirev is broken, there's no Eirev, and people are carrying, they're carrying from their home into the street, they're carrying in the street. It's not a biblical violation, it's a rabbinic violation. The Eirev breaks on Shabbos. The Eirev breaks on Shabbos. People don't know. Whoever carries is going to be What? A shaygik, right? A real shaykh. They don't know that what they're doing is forbidden. Am I obligated to notify the people that the Arab is broken? You'll say, certainly they shouldn't carry. Not so simple. Based on this idea of the Ramban, the Sivos Hamishpat introduces a gavaldik chiddush and halacha. Take a look. Zaktin Nesimus Hamishpat Choshen Mishpat Reish Lamadalid Sifkot and Gimel in his biur. The Torah. <inaudible> <inaudible> when we speak about a blemish, an objective dent that a sin creates, it's only by an Isser of Torah. Then, even if I did it by mistake, but I did it, and it creates a blemish in my soul and in the world around me, and I need atonement. However, what if I did an issud Abana? Here, if I did it willingly, then I violated an Isudir. You're not allowed to be over on an Isudir But if I did it by mistake, he says there's no need for atonement. Absolutely. There's no oinish, there's no need. You're completely innocent. Nothing happened. Why? What is this based on? So the great Rav of Lublin, the Torah Shechet of Shnei Zamenakoyin of Shnei Zamen Lublin, who was a chassid of the Tzedek, one of the great gaonim, and then went to Yerushalayim as Chassid Chubis Torah Shechet. He explains in the siddurs, Chassid Chubis Torah Shechet erechayim. The Av Shat Torah Tzipse Belav the Leisaser Shulelaver al devrei seifrim. What do you mean? The Torah says Leisaser min adaver ashegidul chayom and Ismail, You're not allowed. Turn away. You're not allowed to reject the commandment of Besdin, when the Sanhedrin, when the Chachamim, when the Chazal issue forth a commandment of Mitzvah, or tell you you're not allowed to do something. The Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu gave over that the Jewish people are obligated to listen to the Chachamim in every generation. Of course, we're talking about Chachamim who are ordained, man to man, all the way from Moshe Rabbeinu, and are. True representatives of Torah, and that's why when we read the Megillah, we say, <speaking in Hebrew> Where did God command us to light Shabbos candles? There's no such a commandment in the Torah? The answer is, Hashem told us, You're obligated to follow the instructions of Bezdin in every generation. So the Torah's Chesed says, what do you mean? You did it by mistake, but you violated the Tzivui." And for the Torah's Chesed, mikol makoim, is hua, hachomel, Yisru is ehu ha the de-gavre, a loy al-divreich ha-chomim, av-al loy isur ha-f-cah. Dib-Yisru t chayla v-dam, sh-a-dobur at-smoy osu min um, a Let's explain what the Torah's Chesed is saying when a person commits any transgression, Biblical or Rabbinic there are two components. Number one, I violated the will of my Creator. That's number one. I violated the will of my Creator. That's number one. Number two, it's not I violated the will of my Creator, it's the objective impact of what I did. Every mitzvah creates purity in the world. Every Aveda, Creates negative energy in my soul and in the world. I, If I lie, if I lie, it's like somebody puts their finger onto a hot stove. <laughs> they may do it by mistake. They may not do it by mistake. It burns the finger. It hurts. Somebody goes out when it's freezing without a coat. They get a cold. Even if they didn't realize how cold it is. Why? Because there are natural, physical laws to the universe with cause and effect. When a person lies... It has an impact on my soul. My neshama is not the same. Some dirt attaches itself to me and it disturbs me. That's the idea of the Rambam. The objective impact of the mitzvah. Zakta is chesed. When I do something by mistake, is the first component here that I violate Hashem's will, I'm asking you. Was there an act of betrayal when I do it by mistake? What's the answer? No. Nope. So that's gone. When there's a maizid, there's betrayal, and there's the objective impact of the sin. When there's a shaygik, there's no betrayal. It was a mistake. What's left? What's left is the second component. What's the second component? That the chafzah, the object of this food, or this act, creates an impact. And it's a negative impact. It creates a blemish in my nefesh, nefesh kisechtah. Zabtuturus chesed, the shit of the nesivists is, that could only apply by an isidair because by anisudai the chayvut becomes forbidden. The blood is a type of chayvut that, for a Jewish soul, is damaging. It's like you're allergic to it. If somebody is allergic to carbs and sugar, like every good Jew, according to your wife, at least. You could say I was at a chas and I was mamashu shoygig. I saw the Viennese table, and I was so involved in simchas Hassan kala, I didn't realize that I just. Pack down, you know, 10 pieces of, uh, par of a cheesecake with some ice cream. Complete sugar. But does that mean you're not going to gain 10 pounds? Does that mean you're not going to be lethargic that night? Does that mean you're not going to feel obese? Does that mean you're not going to need some help with your nutrition? Shayge, 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 you ate the food and it's not good for you. You're allergic to it. Because the food, the kaifits of the food is not good for your body, it's not good for your blood type. <laughs> but we're not going to get too much into nutrition there. I don't want to ruin the breakfast. the Torah's <laughs> chesed, by an ishr min a Torah. it's an issue. What means is that? The object itself is redefined based on the blueprint of the Ribbon Shalom and Torah. On Israbanan words, he puts some very interesting words. He says, zah <laughs> de the Chachamim said, You're not allowed to eat this food. You're not allowed to drink this drink. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to do it. To do it. The Chachamim said. But they didn't change the status of the Chayfets. So if I do it, the it, I violated, I betrayed. The rodson of my God, the rodson of my Creator. Of course, I need a kapara. But if I didn't b'shogig betrayal, there was no betrayal. The impact of the cheftza, there's no impact of the cheftza because the cheftza wasn't defined, redefined. So therefore, the Nesivus Hamishpat says you don't need kapara. You didn't do anything wrong. So if somebody is carrying in a community where there's no Arif by mistake, and the only iser of carrying is with the rabbanon, and they don't know. Do I have to tell them? According to the Nesibus. What's the problem? But many is they're not being given on the Garabona. They don't know that the Erev broke. Right? On the Eastern Minatari, there's no Eastern Minatari here. It's just at Sibim and the Gavona. According to the Nesibus on Mishpat. There's many who say, you wouldn't have to tell anybody that the Erev broke. This is not the Pzach I should just say that. But this is a shita, although many hold like that. But as we'll soon see, there's a major argument about it. Rabbi Yosef Eigel, Reb Yosef Eigel has a famous sefer called Beis HaEitzer and Aslan Dairaisa, and he dedicates many pages to discuss this question: Are isurei the and isurei heftze or isurei gavra? When the rabbis prohibited something, is it a prohibition on the person, or does it redefine the object itself? And he explains, what's the Svarah? He says, HaShem Hashem created the world. When he says, this is Asur, it defines not only the person, it defines the object. It's his world. In fact, the Zayar says, which means, he created the world based on the blueprint of Torah. He created the world based on the blueprint of Torah. So basically, the world is a mirror of Torah. So if Torah says, this is forbidden, so it's expressed, the very object is a dover meaning inherently it's so to speak its its chemical and spiritual makeup is an is a mitsyas of isr. Other abanam, perhaps they don't have that power. It's not la Hashem Aruz they instituted the Isr even though if it was based on their power that was given by Hashem. So therefore they have the power over the Jew. Hashem tells the Jew, you have to listen to Chazam. But do they have the ability to redefine the chayfets itself? That the chayfets should become something that damages the soul? Rabbi Yosef Engel says, perhaps not. That's how the Torah's Chesed explains the Nesivis. And therefore there's a big difference between Adairais and Adirabonam. However, many Poiskim disagree with this Nesivis HaMishpat. And Rabbi Yosef Engel brings a very fascinating Gemara to prove the opposite point. If you take a look at Source... At the first source of your second page the Gemara says in Khulan davva va marav a story that Bezai and Rabassi iklo la pundika Rabzein and Rabassi they came to a hotel Iscula Kamayu be some mamotz mukes be yahen Bezai lo yachoda wasiach they brought eggs roasted in wine this wasn't a jewish uh, uh, hotel they brought them eggs roasted in wine. Reb Zeir does not eat the eggs. Reb Asi eats it. I'm sorry, I said it wasn't Jewish. It was Jewish. However, the issue wasn't a question of Kashrus, the issue was a question of demai, Meaning, there were many Jews known as Ami Ha'aretz, who did not keep, or at least there was a great question, if they keep the laws of maestris, of tithing their fruits and their produce, the way it has to be done. And therefore, Chazal instituted what we call the Maid. Maid is a combination of two words which means Da Mai. What is this? And therefore, because there is doubt if it was tithed or not, so if you purchase produce and fruits for somebody who is under that category where there's a question if he gives Maid or not, you have to give it even if it's for a second time. This was this type of hotel. They bring them eggs roasted with wine. The wine comes, of course, from grapes. It's a suffolk dmai. It's, it's taruva's dmai, meaning they're eating eggs. Eggs is not a problem. You don't have to give mice from eggs. It doesn't grow from the ground. It comes from chickens. However, the eggs was roasted in wine. So therefore, there was a taste of wine. And then the wine comes from grapes. And perhaps they didn't give mice from the grapes. So how can you eat such eggs? This is what Rebzeir asks, Reb how can you eat it? Oh my lord, Reb Asi says, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> I wasn't thinking. I'm going to say that. gozru O Fascinating response. Is it possible that the Chachami made a decree al ha-taruvus of d'mai? That even when something is mixed with d'mai, like in this case, it wasn't wine, it was eggs, still it's forbidden. And Reb Asi ends up eating it inadvertently. Ha-ash-teh behem ten shol tzadik emina Baruch al-yadon. Tzadikim like kosher. Chazal say that even an animal of tzadikim, Hashem makes sure that they don't stumble. There's the whole story because Yair, the animal even didn't eat food that was not kosher, that wasn't tied. So tzaddikim themselves, the will allow Rabasi, who's a tzaddik, to eat such food that's forbidden. Nafak Reb Zera, went out to do research, and he found out that there was no zera on taruvus mai, and indeed Reb was completely fine with eating this, with eating these eggs. So the Rabbi Yosef Engel says, look at the lashon of the Gemara: Mistayim milseder Rabasi Asi lemechal Would Rabasi eat something that's asur? He says, what does the Gemara mean? In other words, if Chazal said it was forbidden, Reb calls it something that's Asur, eating something that's forbidden. Yes, perhaps you could say the Gemara means that since Chazal said you're not allowed to eat it, so therefore it's called Isur. Not because the Chafetz is Asur, the Chafetz is not Asur, but the Gavre is not allowed to eat it. But he says a literal straightforward reading of the Gemara does seem to indicate that even something that's forbidden completely by Chazal like Dma'i, is an Easter Hefzeh, not an Easter Gavre, even though then he offers another option, and that is, since the Mai is a Suffolk, that maybe there was no Meisim in so therefore it's a Suffolk, maybe that Min HaToyre it's not So that could be another reason, it's called Isor, the like lekach goes back and forth, Whether the Nesimus HaMishpat Svara about Yisraeli Rabbanim being an Isra Gavara only is authentic or not authentic. The Ur Sameach, Reb Meir Simcha Akoyin in Ramam Hilchus Gerish Perik Aleph, also, also, quotes this Nesimus HaMishpat and the Ur Sameach puts it beautifully. I'm going to quote a few of his words. He says, "Davar HaAsur Medivre Soifrim Enoi Asur Be'etzem when he does it inadvertently he didn't not listen to the Chacham he didn't know, it was a mistake and the only problem is you have to listen to Chazal he listened, he just didn't know he thought he was listening. So the Arsamech says, Lekha ve-reklal. but then the Arsamech proves from Arambam, from Arambam that this is not true, and he rejects the entire spar of the Nasibis Hamishpat, and he re, he redefines the Halacha. It's a long, uh, a long Er-Sameach in Hilchis Gerish, which you could look up. And many therefore argue with the Nasibis Hamishpat, and believe that even other Rabbanon would need Kaporah, even if it is a shayik. Why, why? If you say it's an ishur keftza, I understand. If you say it's an ishur gavra, why would you need kapora even if it's a Shoigig? So here we come to yet another interpretation. We discuss the chinuch. We discuss the ramban. Now we go to another reason why a shaygik may need kapara, and that would explain that even a Rabbanon, if you hold it, it's an iser Gavra, would still need kapara, even though there was no blemish, objectively, from what you did. Toiras <speaking in> ha'gmul. <Hebrew> the next source, the Ramban has his famous shar ha'gmul. In his Sefer, Toiras and there he says, <speaking in Hebrew> If somebody eats forbidden fat, by mistake is called a chayrta, she can't carry out a chayrta what's a sin? So the Ramban says, shaloy nizar ba'atzmoy, v'lohyo yorei v'chorei d'al divriyah mokam b'aruchu, shaloyoychal v'lohyasid dovor, at shayivdoik yofe, yofe, iv'yizgal eloy ha-dobor sh'umuter, loy lafig z'iroystof sh'la k'adosh b'aruchu, v'al derech ha-zuhutam achet ha-shgogah b'chal ha-tayrta. What the Ramban is saying is, ignorance is not an excuse in life. A person ought to be fully reflective before everything they do. Before I utter words, before I eat something, before I do something, I have to research and make sure I know what I'm doing. A person cannot say, I forgot! I forgot it's Sunday! I forgot it's Shabbos! What do they say? How do, you, uh, how do you remember your wife's birthday? If you forget it once. A person can't say, I forgot, I forgot it's in Kippur, I didn't know it's blog, I didn't know it's chalev, I didn't know the law. Ignorance, a fascinating idea. Ignorance in Judaism is not an excuse. <laughs> it's a fact, but it's not an excuse. The Ramban says here, a person ought to be cautious before I eat. Scrutinize it. Dissect it. Find out if what you're doing right now is, is, is consistent with God's will or it's not consistent with God's will. And he says, this is the reason for I have to find out. I have to be alert. To live means to be present, to be conscious, to be alert, to be focused. And to say, I don't know. Find out. Go find out. And there's another reason. And then he gives a second reason. And this reason we know, because this is the reason he gives in Chumash. In Chumash he gives the second reason. What's the second reason? That everything that's forbidden soils a pure soul. It's not because of ignorance. It's because of the impression of what you did. Fascinatingly, there's a Rambam in Halacha that says almost the exact same thing. If somebody is together with his wife, not in the time of the cycle, and then suddenly he sees that there's blood, they're both exempt from a carbon chatos. Why? Nida is a mitzviz loiseseh. She yesh bakareks. Yesh Why? He should bring a karmicratus. He made a mistake. He didn't realize. The Raman says no. He's an anus. He's an anus. It's not called a shoyeg. Why? Zakte Ramba. She ha shoyeg. Hoi a The shoyeg. I have a taina. You should have checked. You should have been If you would have scrutinized, if you would have researched, if you would have asked questions, if you would have asked, where am I, who am I, what am I doing, you would have never done it. You know what? He needs kapara. When he did it, it was a mistake. But, why didn't you ask? Why didn't you question? Why didn't you take responsibility for yourself and for everything you're doing in your life? That's what you're bringing atonement for. Ms. You didn't know, but the fact that you didn't know this itself, you're guilty for. Avolzem maloy lassos. But what about this case? What about this case? He's a married man. It's not the time of the cycle. Maloy lassos. Tell him. Do research before you do. So- okay, let me do research. He asks his wife, "Is everything fine? Everything is fine. Is everything co- everything is good according to Allah. What is he supposed to do? Ruchakoyinah. She doesn't have a prophet. Is not unexpected. It's completely malo This is not called a shoged. This is called an einas. It's complete involuntary action. It's coerced." he was almost forced, somebody ties, ties your hands behind your back and feeds you blood, that's called a shaygig what are you supposed to do? you know it's blood, it's anonymous. everyone understands it's not a shaygig here nobody forced him to do it he did it, but as far as his culpability, he was forced, he's an almost, and therefore the rabbi completely absolves him, of course this is not in the shit of the Ramban in the shit of the Ramban, you would say, there's an objective issue it's not as full, but there's an objective issue for your carbon khatas. But the Rambam is saying it's about research. Ignorance is not an excuse. And therefore, as a result of that, the Shoygig needs a kappar. Rebsimshan Rafal Hirsch in his commentary on Vayikra says, Shoigig Huchoite Machmas Hesa Hadas. Hainu de Shaberega Hajgoga Enoinosun Bhaliboy Vinafshoi Lizihirus Shemaseu Yi shemaseyu Ru Damitsma. Almost paraphrasing, quoting these words of the army, even though he doesn't quote it. The sin is Hesechadas. What's Hesechadas? We don't think of it as a sin. Hesachadas means I'm talking to you and you're texting. Your child is asking you a question and you're busy texting. That's called hesachadas. Hesachadas means you're not fully present in life. What's that? You're not fully present? When you're doing something, your heart is not there. Your soul is not there. You're not completely focused. Where you are, what you're doing, vumish state, state. That's the expression. Where you're standing and before whom you're standing. Hadas, <laughs> That's the issue of shaygut. That's why it needs ka. That's why it needs kapana. So we have the perspective of the sefer HaKhinuch. It's for the future. The perspective of the Ramban in Chumash, it's the objective impression that a mistake and a sin makes. And we have the perspective of the Ramban, Ramban, and the later generations of Shimshan Rafal Hirsch, and his contemporary, or somewhat of his contemporary, next generation, of David Zvi Hoffman. Rav Hirsch and Rav Hoffman were both great rabbonim in Germany in the 19th century. In his commentary on Vayikra, he elaborates on the interpretation of Rav Hirsch in the same way vain. They say that my, you know, the old anecdote, they say there was a Jew who knew better, but he spent his life more or less in a very promiscuous fashion. Every, every sin he committed, he could commit, he committed. And whenever they asked him, why are you doing it? He says, I have no issue. Because when I was a child, I was diagnosed that I can't really read dyslexic, and all the good diagnoses, ADD and ADHD and illiterate and therefore I never learned how to read, so therefore I can't read a siddur, I can't daven I can't read chumash, I can't read halacha I can't listen, I can't read, I don't know Hebrew, so therefore I have, a, you know, it's not my fault, God created me that way, and therefore I'm good to go, okay his day comes after 120 years old and he comes up to heaven and they take a look, you know, they print out uh, Google prints out a database of everything you did and you didn't do everything you thought, everything you said and they start looking and they see this Yid, you know, really, uh, he really had a good time and he took it to the limits he lived quite a hedonistic life and he tells the angel, he says, listen it's not my fault, you know, go to God ask him, I couldn't read, I still can't read I can't read a he- word of Hebrew I can't be, I can't be an observant Jew they take a look, and they see Taka? Can't read. He goes straight to Ganeid. He goes straight to Ganeid. He is excited. I'm a You know, it's called, you have the cake and you eat it too. Sins his whole life. And he goes straight to Ganeid. Comes to the the It's not for him. They're sitting and learning. This is is and this is Gehenna. So he goes to the angel at the door. He says, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to survive here. But this is my place. Can I go check out the Gehenna? I think I'll have there much, first of all, a lot of people I know. Uh, it'll be interesting company, probably more fun. You know, there's things going on there. There's action. I said, listen, uh, people usually don't leave for me. You know, it's a one-way, uh, once you're there, it's very hard to get in. It's a, it's a whole long, long process. He begs, he begs, do me a favor, I'm a good guy, I'm a Ghanaian. I want to go for a visit. He says, you know what? Do me a favor, he says. Just write me a note. Write me a note. And the notes say that I'm from Gan Eden. I'm visiting Gehenna. And when I want to come back, I show the note to whoever is the guard, and let me in. Malach says, no problem. Nice idea. That's fear. Writes him a beautiful note. There's a Gan Eden ye. He's just visiting Gehenna. He has a place in, He has a seat. He has a standard. It's all good. And uh, he can come back whenever he wants. Ah. He takes the note, he goes into Gehenna, and indeed he sees it's a party happening. The boards, the pool tables, the casinos. And he sees everyone he knows, everyone he spent time with. Suddenly 5 o'clock p.m., there's a clock, the fun is over. And now he sees a new picture of Gehenna, suddenly it's getting very, very hot. Now it's time to go back to Ganadin. So he runs back to Ganadin and with full confidence he comes to the door, runs in the garden, wait, wait, wait. You don't go. in. where are you coming from? Coming again? He can't go in there. I have a note. Gives him the note, looks at the note, and he says, I'm sorry, I can't read. <laughs> so the Shemshin Rafal Hirsch is making the point, and that is ignorance in life is not an excuse, unless it's really an excuse. Why? Because you can educate yourself. Educate yourself. They once asked a Jew, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? And he said, I don't know and I don't care. Well, ignorance breeds apathy, and apathy is not an excuse, because ignorance is not an excuse. Now, let's go over to one last mahalich, and for this, we have to learn another shtikl gemara. Take a look at the fourth to the last source, Kiddush Payalatham Dach P'yalef <inaudible> HaMidbeis. Zok Deheleke gemara. D'Tanya, fascinating gemara. We learned in Parshas Matas, the Brice says, the Apostle in Parashas Matas, Isha HaFeirun Vashem Yislechlo. Huh? midbar Parshas Matas is in midbar a woman takes a vow to do something that is uh, difficult right, impulsively perhaps or for whatever reason her husband has the ability to be able to nullify the vow and she's absolved so the Torah says her husband nullified the vow and God will forgive her why does God have to forgive her her husband nullified the vow and for the Gemara be'isheh shenodra ben nazir, a woman decides she wants to become a nazir. No l'chaim anymore, no kiddush, no wine, no grapes. Huh? No cutting the hair, no tummah. Complete, a life of complete spiritual segregation. V'sham ha'bayla, her husband hears about it. He says, there goes my marriage. V'hafala, said you know, he tells us, Evanson, listen, you mean well, But I still want to live in this world with you. He nullifies the vow. She doesn't know that he nullified it. The next night she goes for a drink. She thinks she's a vazir. So really, she didn't do a sin. There's no vow, no pledge. He nullified it, but she doesn't know that. So now, does she need an atonement or not? So the Torah says, Because in her mind... She's sinning even though she's not. So you think you're sinning and you're not. Do you need atonement or not? Objectively, you didn't do anything wrong. Right, you remember, you didn't do anything wrong. She's not an Mitzad The fact that she is betraying her God and her soul, that's still there. Because she thinks she's doing the wrong thing, even though she's not doing the wrong thing. God forgive has to forgive her. Rabbi Akiva ki ava moti lahay psuk ava bochi. Where Rabbi Akiva would reach this posuk and matus, he would start crying. Omar, he said, Uma mishin eskavalechop sar chazir v'alabi yadip sar tla. Omrut toyrut shrikha kaporos licha. Mishin eskavalechop sar chazir v'alabi yadip sar chazir alachas kam. Madach, somebody who had intention to eat pork. And when they lifted up the piece of meat, instead of having chazir, they lifted up a kosher piece of meat. Torah says you still need atonement like this woman. She She didn't do anything wrong. But she wanted to do something wrong. You need atonement. So somebody who has intention to eat pork and eats pork, for sure they need a kapara. Rabbi Akiva was crying. The Gemara says, there's one more place that he cried. Ka the tzibidavarat now come to Vayikra. It says in Vayikra, a person does a sin and he's ignorant, he doesn't know that he did it, and he's guilty. used to cry. And this is what he said. is And this is what he said. Madach if somebody wanted to eat Shuman. Shuman is the fatty parts of the animal that are kosher. And by mistake, he took a piece of Chelev, which is non-kosher. He needs a Kapara. That's the holding of carbon chatos. You thought you were eating Shuman, which is kosher. By mistake, you ate Chelev. You didn't know. You need a Kapara. Somebody wanted to eat Chelev. And eight Cheilev, for sure they need a kapara, this amazing nanashegid. Rabbi Akiva cried by these two psalms. Now, Rabbi Akiva wasn't a crying type. How do I know? The Gemara at the end of Makhis, when everybody was busy crying, what was he doing? He was laughing. By the base of Mikdaj, everyone was crying, and even then Rabbi Akiva was laughing. He already saw the future. He already saw the future. they see a fox coming out of Kodesh HaKadoshim, everybody's crying, and Rabbi Akim is laughing, he says, till now I wasn't sure about the Oed Yeish Muskein and Muskein Yerushalayim. But now when I see Tzio in Sobitei Choresh, that Zion was plowed like a field and foxes are coming out of Kodesh HaKadoshim, I know that every last Navua of Oed Yeish Muskein and Muskein is Yerushalayim is also going to be fulfilled and the Gemara finishes, Akiva Rabbi Akiva saw the good, he saw the positive, the Gemara in Brachas, the famous Gemara, his chicken died, and the fire was extinguished, and his donkey was killed, and he kept on saying the same words, the the Rachmanah, L'tav it. But at these two Psukim, he wept. So the Meshech Chachma, the Arisameach, in his commentary on Matas, asks, why was Rabbi Akiva the one who wept? All Jews learned these Psukim and Chumash, all the Tamayim and all the Amirayim, it was Rabbi Akiva who wept. Why? Rabbi Akiva. And I want to ask one more question, if I may. And that's a little diuk. There are 43 avedas for which you bring a carbon khatas. Rabbi Akiva chooses one. Which one does he choose? Mi she lechel shuman chalef. He wanted to eat shuman and instead he ate chalef. That's the example he brings. No other examples. You could say he wanted to eat matzah and by mistake he ate chametz. Doesn't say that. He wanted to eat liver by mistake he ate blood. Doesn't say that. It's not the first one of the 43. It's one of them. And in Gemara in crisis, when the Gemara wants to discuss the carbon chattas, this is usually the example that's brought. In the Mishnah also, Krishna's Dafizign, there's many examples, but this is the first example. You wanted eat shuman and you ate caliph. So now we come to the final perspective of why our carbon chatos needs kapara. What's so fascinating about this perspective is that at the same time that this explanation was sheared in the world of Chasidus, in the world of Nister. It was a Jew by the name of Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud lived in the early 1900s. His name was Zygmunt, and his name was Sigmund. His Jewish name was Schleimele. Schleimele Freud. Although most people wouldn't know him by that, lived in Vienna. Was a neurologist and became what's considered he's considered today to be the father of psychoanalysis. The toivu and one of the most. Uh, Common phrases, even in today's culture, is that was a Freudian slip. What's a Freudian slip? We all make Freudian slips all the time. What Freud often discussed was that there's a whole layer of human experience and emotions and instincts that lay beneath the conscious. You don't know about it. In other words, The primary aspects of my personality I don't even know about. I'm completely ignorant. Why? I'm not conscious. If you ask me, who am I? So even if I'm being honest with you, I can share with you my thoughts, my instincts, my cravings, my fears, at least some of them. But my unconscious layers, I don't know, they're unconscious. And my brain doesn't filter. My brain is a filter and it doesn't allow most of them to come into the conscious. Only in my dreams, which is why he was obsessed with dreams because the dreams is a portal to the unconscious. So you say this was a Freudian slip, meaning you just slipped, and you said something, you didn't realize what you were saying, but your unconscious was speaking through your mouth, and you just revealed what you really thought. Now, his shitter was a complicated one, which presumed that the person in his unconscious is pretty bad, it's pretty dirty, it's pretty filthy. But the concept... That there's a whole unconscious self that expresses itself in different ways, and we may not be conscious of it. That we'll suddenly see is the basis of the carbon Thousands of years before Schleimler Freud introduced psychoanalysis. And I found this in two sources. One in the Shemish Shmuel by Rabshmuel Sachachachavar. The Shemish Shmuel was authored by Rabbi Shmuel Bornstein, Bornstein the son of the Avni Nezer, Rabbi Barnstein. Bornstein. He wrote a sefer called Shem Mishmuel, a Hasidic master lived in Sakhachov in Poland. And the Shem Mishmuel is on Chumash, and in Vayikra, and more in Tzav. He highlights this point. That's one. Similar and quite in a different language, which I'll soon read. I saw in a shmu is in a sikh a talk by the Labavitcher Rebbe, in Torah, Tovshin Yud Beis, 1951, published in his Lukutay Sikhis, Volume 3, Vayikra, where he's actually explaining a Rambam and Hilchis Karbon is based on this, and a, a similar Mahalach. Let's see what the Shemish Shmuel says. There's two Shemish Shmuels in Vayikra and Sav, will have them both. Shemish Shmuel, Sav, Ayin and Aleph. The Torah says the oiler had to be slaughtered. Which part of the Mishkan? Safon, in the north. And the Torah says in south, the same place where you bring the oiler, you have to slaughter the khatas and Safon. So, someone says, why can you just say for shachatoy say just like you do it by the oiler? No, same place where you do the oiler, you have to do the khatas. Why such a roundabout way? So we all understand, because the Torah is trying to say, the reason you have to do it in Tzafen is because of the idol. That's why it doesn't just say do it in suffer; It's because the idol. Zakti Sheh Mishmul, v'nirah, She ha'kosavnu, she'inyin ha'shoigig she'ezdamen l'ish, she'ezfei laveril of belidas. The shhoigig that the Jew commits without knowledge, he doesn't know. Hu machmaz shebevaday mekvar hishtoikik lo'oysay dovar. He really has a craving to do that. He has a craving. Really? He doesn't have a craving. He never did it. Because he's a good Jew. God said not to do it. But he wants to do it. He just doesn't know he wants to do it. But he wants to do it. He never did it. So how do you do do something when you want to do it? (laughs) You make a mistake. Who makes the mistake? You're unconscious. There is an unconscious connection between him and this reality. It happens to him. Now this is a fascinating insight. You didn't choose it. You forgot. You forgot. You don't know the law. The blood happened to be here. The chalem happened to be here. You thought it was Shuma. Consciously, you were completely not involved. Unconsciously, he's saying, you have a deep connection, you have a deep craving, and therefore, somehow, you attract this reality and it happens to you. The atonement is not that he did it now. The atonement is because basically there's a deep connection, there's a deep craving. The oil the Gemara says in Zvachim is it atones for thoughts of the heart, cravings of the heart. That's what the carbon oil atones. He says, what's the chatos? It's the same thing. It's not what you did. What you did was by mistake. It's the Hira Alev. It's the internal unconscious desire and craving that the person has. That is what the person needs a carbon for. Vayikretav Reishayin Aleph, 1911. Vayideh Zayuvening, Yenash Shayi Gigi. Mayayin Baal Mizdamen Lishay Yisraeli Sheyishgim Edvar Yisraeli How can a Jew make a mistake and why does he need atonement? Achua Dover. Sheyish sheyetzahorah simias enum lishhtoikim Edvar Yisraeli This is a man that the Yitzahorah blinded him and he has a craving to something else he never thought of doing it because he's careful to do what god wants So the me says he has a craving to it now the shaimishmuel apparently means he has a conscious craving to it Not an unconscious craving. But he never did it. Why did he not do it? Because he's a good Jew. He doesn't want to do it. But he has a craving. He's connected. Why does it happen to him? By mistake, he attracts it because he has a conscious craving. So the Shemishmul actually doesn't, it seems, doesn't say that the craving is unconscious. He may be aware of the craving, but he would never do it. But the fact that it happens to him as as a result of the craving that he had earlier, which may be conscious that somehow puts him into this position that he makes the mistake. His conscious craving causes an unconscious act, an unconscious relationship in ways that he's not in control of, and that's what he's bringing the kapara for the chukka, which is similar to the oila, that's why it's tzafan, and he says elsewhere tzafan comes from the word hidden, tzafan, the Ezra says, why is it called Soften? Because the sun is hidden there, the sun is hidden because it's the north, It's cold. So Tzofan is the place of hiddenness. In other words, it's the hidden craving, not the action, but the previous craving that may even be hidden at the moment because now it was a mistake. You weren't aware of it. Now, now, I want to bring you the second source. I'm going to read two paragraphs in Yiddish and we'll understand Rabbi Akiva. I'm going to read two paragraphs in Yiddish. The fact that the person commits a shogig which is by mistake means that there's something in the soul that is tainted because if not, if there would be no connection, this would not happen to him. The mistake would not happen to him. Is, in a way, the Shogig demonstrates a spiritual issue that is more complex than amazed. Why? Why? Well when a man becomes a man, he a man, the a a man, a man, a man, Es kann sein, dass die ganze Scheiche seine mit der Pole kommt nur bei Schaas und nur mit seinem Koei Haasie und er darf die Kavanna Vidas, bei welcher er halt dann. Aber der Pole was tut sich bei ihm von sich allein, ist jedoch ein Beweis auf seinem Huss, als der verbunden sein Ich, was ist tiefer von Kavanna Vidas. Und er wird zitterst ihm instinktiv zu tun, die Pohles, und bis, dass die nach so stark bis es es er abgekommen, aber meistens mit Peule. When I do something amazing, which part of me is involved in the Aveder? My conscious self. I know I'm doing it. I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm lazy. I'm not in the mood. I hate whatever it is. I do it. So what's involved? My revealed consciousness. When I do the shaykh, my consciousness is not doing an Aveder. I don't know it's Shabbos. I don't know what's Yom Kippur. I don't know what's Chalim. I don't know it's blood. I don't know it's a sin. And yet, I'm doing it. Why am I doing it? Because there's an unconscious connection between me and that act. if not, Lo. there is a craving, there is a relationship, there is a connection, but I can't even identify it. In fact, it's unconscious and if it's unconscious it means it's rooted in my very essence in my very eye that's deeper than my conscious self and therefore I'm unaware of the relationship and it's coming out in a mistake. That's the kapara of the shaykh, And in many ways, it's more than amazing. Which explains a fascinating thing. And that is the Gemara says in Zvachim, the Gemara says in Zvachim, that an asham tolui, in many ways is more stringent than a karben chatas. The Gemara says in Zvachim, Ches, an asham tolui. what's an asham Tali? An asham is, if you have a suffolk, if you did the Averi B'shoigig, Meaning, you ate something, and you're not sure it was chaylev. You may have eaten chaylev, you may have not eaten chaylev. You bring an ashram toloy. It's not you're sure you ate chaylev by mistake. And that, the Gemara says, is a more expensive carbon than a Why? It seems so strange. Here you're not even sure. The pshat is that here, you're so deeply connected, you can't even identify that you did it. So it may even be deeper in the person, in the unconscious of the person. So this is the idea that the shoyig needs kapara, because the shoyig is a window into what's happening in my essence, and the Torah is allowing me and saying, you have an opportunity here to figure out who you really are. You have an opportunity to figure out where your unconscious geshmak is. You didn't just do it by mistake. This is a Freudian slip. It was a slip, I know. But the slip came from somewhere. It came from your essence and you're unaware of it. That means it's deeper in you. It's beyond your das. It's beyond your kavana. It wasn't filtered through your consciousness. And that's why instinctively you can behave in this way. You need, you need the kapar. According to this, it becomes crystal clear why the primary example for carbon khatas is always you wanted to eat shuman and instead, you ate khalaf. From all the 43. That's what Rabbi Akiva uses, and that's what the Gemara usually uses. When you have an example of khatas, you wanted to eat ch- shuman, you ate khalaf. Why? Because essentially, that captures the essence of the carbon khatas. Every carbon khatas is really about that. Why? So let me read one more paragraph of this sikhah. Wir bauen das, der Osserdike, Paulusche, Bescheugig, kommen doch mit zu so Geschmack, was er hat in See, heißt doch das, als was von der Sofag Israel soll nicht sein, ist der Inhalt von dem Sofag in was ist ein Teilung. zieh sein Vergeningen ist ein Mutterdiker, oder sein Teilung ist Rachman al-Azlan ein Osserdiker. Und er überbringt die Gemahre die Dugma auf Ascham, Toll, Sofag, Cheiluf, Sofag, Schumann, weil Cheiluf und Schumann kommen von Teilung. The fatty parts of meat, shumon, is of course associated with pleasure, with delight. There's two types of tainuk. There's a tainuk of khelev and there's a pleasure of shuman. Shuman is permitted pleasure, and khelev is forbidden pleasure. When I commit an Averi B'shoi Gekhas I wanted to eat shuman. and I ate khelev what's really happening in every situation, whatever it may be? It's basically revealing where my pleasure is. It's basically revealing that I may think my pleasure is Shumon, but really my pleasure is khalif. Every carbon chattis for any one of the 43 thins is essentially metaphoric. It's expressed and allegorically in this, in this point. You wanted to eat Shumon, but really you ate khalif. You thought your tainuv, your fat, is permissible, but look at the Aveir it means That you ate chalev, in other words, that there's an underlying unconscious pleasure and connection to things that may be contrary to the true design of your soul. So what's the kapara of the shaygig? The kapara of the shaygig is, a shaygig is a window into the unconscious, which may reveal much deeper components about your true personality, even then things that you did, bemaze it, because you did it by mistake, you didn't plan to do that Veda, but it tells you much more about who you are, and the carbon khatas is a window into that. Which now explains to us why Rabbi Akiva wept by these two psukim And this is what the Mashachma says in Parshas Matas. He quotes two Gemaras one is an on Ahmed earlier, daf Payalaf Ahmed Aleph, and one is Mesechta Derachirritza and Mesechte Smachas. Let's take a look. The third source from the bottom. Kiddushan davpeyallof Aleph. Rabbi Akiva hava misloitzitz bo'evre aveda. Rabbi Akiva used to mock people who sin with immorality. He used to mock. What did he say? He said, I don't understand how people have such little self-control. I don't understand. How can a person fall so low? One day, the satan appeared to Rabbi Akiva like a woman on the top of a palm tree. Rabbi Akiva was so taken by the sight, he started to climb the palm tree swiftly, enthusiastically and energetically to go to the palm tree to meet this person. As he reached halfway in mid-palm tree, the satan left him alone, meaning he stopped feigning the image of the woman. He went back to his regular self and Rabbi Akiva saw that there was really nothing there and that was the end of the sangha. Omar the Sultan said, If not that they announce in heaven, be careful with Rabbi Akiva and his Torah, I would have reduced your blood, your value, your dignity to two cheap coins. In other words, I would have proved that the great Rabbi Akiva is also capable of immoral behavior. So Rabbi Akiva, don't mock at Oivre Aveira and say, Eh, why can't they control themselves? Because in a moment of truth, when one experienced such a powerful urging, where would have the great Rabbi Akiva been? Says the Meshachachma. Now you understand why he cried? Now you understand why he cried in Parshish Matas? What happened in Parshish Matas? She was drinking wine. She thought she was doing something wrong. Really, she wasn't doing anything wrong. Hashem Yistach Hashem, means a Where Rabbi Akiva was climbing up the palm tree, says the Meshachachma. He thought, what is he climbing towards? Climbing to a woman. Really, what was he climbing towards? a Avola, a satan who was just making games. So essentially there was nothing wrong going on. It was just a test. So Rabbi Akiva leapt from this Pasuk, realizing that it applied to his own life. What about the second Pasek in Parshas by Yikra? On this is another Gemara. Mesechte derech heretz, perik zayim. Omer Rebbe Akiva, Rebbe Akiva says, Kach hoyot chilas tashmishi lefnei chachameh. This is, this is how I began serving the chachameh. Pa'amachas ayisi mahalach bederech matosim eis mitzvah. One day, I'm traveling on the road and I find a meis mitzvah. What's a meis mitzvah? A corpse. And there's nobody available, no relatives, no friends who will take care of treating the corpse with dignity and burying it. And halachically, every Jew who encounters a meis mitzvah is obligated to tend to the meis mitzvah and take care of its final needs of burial, etc. I worked with this corpse for four milen, approximately four kilometers. I walked with this corpse until I brought it to a cemetery and I buried the meis mitzvah. When I came and I related the events to my rebbers, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua, the great tanoim who taught Rabbi Akiva, unruly they told me these words. I'll call kilu dam Every step that you took to the cemetery it's considered like you pour innocent blood. Why? The answer is, when Yeshua came into Eretz Yisrael, one of the institutions was, Meis mitzvah me meaning, when somebody dies, there's no relatives, there's nobody to take care of it, there's a halacha, that he owns his place. What do we mean his place? Wherever you find him, you can bury him right there, even though it's not a public cemetery. Mace mitzvah, When Rabbi Akiva took this Mace mitzvah, and he carried it four miles, it was compromising the dignity that this Mace mitzvah deserved. And therefore they used this strong term of Dam damnaki, pouring innocent blood, even though the person obviously was gone, the person has died already. But compromising the dignity of the body, that's what they told Rabbi Akiva. Mighty lahem, I said, Raboysay my revis. Loma wa. In Basha Nis Kavanti lushness kayafti, Basha Loy Niskavanti lushus alachas kama vikama. In this case, what was my intention? My intention was to be there for the May's mitzvah, to do something good. And yet I was guilty because I made a mistake. So if somebody doesn't have such intentions, certainly. At that moment, I knew I cannot move away from being in the presence, serving, being attentive to Talmud. And the Mesecta Smachis he adds, When Rabbi Akiva was ever told this story, and people told the story to Rabbi Akiva, he always said. This was the beginning of my schus, this was the beginning of my merit when I realized the need for Shimbosh Talmidei Chachamim. Realized, their blessing Rabbi Shua didn't tell them, Rabbi Akiva, you violated a halacha. Rabbi Akiva, it's not the din. They said something else. They made it very personal. They realized they didn't know. They could have said, Rabbi Akiva, that's not the halacha. They made it very personal. On every step that you took, Shafakhta Damnaki, that's what de Khama means. doesn't mean you go to a Shir of a Rebbe, of your Shishiva. de Khama means there's the personal relationship. The Rebbe doesn't tell him the halacha is different. I'll call Psi'u Psi'ya every step that you took. Only somebody that you trust, and somebody who trusts you, your confidants. You could speak this way. It's about you, and every step that you took with such harsh language. Rabbi Akiva, obviously Rabbi Akiva was a, a kelly for this. So he says, Su'a'isit khil aschus, Yzakta'i er sameach where Rav al Pasha's about the carbon and he started to cry. He said, Madach, if somebody wants to eat shuman, and he eats, eats chela, in other words, he wants to eat kosher meat, and it may be even a mitzvah to eat it. Maybe. And still he ate chela by mistake. He needs kapora. He started to cry. Why did he start crying? Because it was his own story. Where was it his story? the HaDerek Heretz. His intention was to bury a Mase Mitzvah. And yet, he compromised its dignity inadvertently. It caused him to weep. But what's fascinating is, when they told the story to Rabbi Akiva, he always said, Zuhayi What's S'tchila S'shusi? Rabbi Akiva saw the mistake as the beginning of a schus, Because it became educational. It taught him about the need of Shimur Tamideh Chachamin. It taught him of the need to have a real Rebbe. It showed him what he was lacking. So it became a schus. It was transformed. That's the carbon chatos. The carbon chatas is not. Your unconscious is rotten, decadent, and therefore you're a hopeless person. On the contrary, the carbon chatas is don't be afraid of your unconscious. Of course there are demons and skeletons and ghosts in the unconscious. Das is a mensch. Asher nasiachtah, especially if you're a leader. Das is a mensch. They are they're there. The carbon chatos is the opportunity to identify it, to expose it. To put light under it. And to turn it into a schus. To use it as an education to figure out who you are and what you're capable of becoming. Have a wonderful week. Next. Not Sunday, Mr. Shem, a We'll do on Pesach.
0: Huh?
1: About Pesach. Yeah. By the yes.
0: yeah. Yeah. way, that is yeah.
1: worm is... Worm, is it very similar Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Daenka, Daenka, Daenka. Daenka, Daenka. Daenka. Thank you, thank you so much.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: I mean, like, like how, you know, that in... So that's Our unconscious knows more than we think. Oh, you yeah. know, the unconscious—the unconscious doesn't work black and white. He wanted to carry it on a an aiyud. It means do something about Shabbos that is not wholesome in him. It doesn't mean he wants to carry without a neighbor. There's no for
0: that. It means there's
1: something about Shabbos that's unwholesome. There's something about Shabbos in him that's not full. You understand? It comes out, all Freudian slips. You don't say it. It comes out in different ways. And since it comes out in different ways, since it comes, what happened? Before? It's fine, it's uh, Since it comes out in different ways, so you're in the palace, or what's in the unconscious? I
0: have to stick to the sheer now. Yeah. Because <Yeah>. I'm learning, Not the only thing is that I'm going to show you. I shot a
1: shot. I shot a shot. Service. Tom, I shot Tom. I mean, you shot at something. Why are you in the game? If it's not even the cloud, why? Yeah. You, you didn't explain the it, sure, shah because this
0: right. is a human fallacy. this is the shah but still the, the shmira guess, or
1: something there right but you understand what I'm saying it's not that he has a time to carry on shahmism as all way it means that there is something that is unconscious about the concept of shamas that doesn't sit well with him there's some there is some it's, it's something in his consciousness something in his consciousness that he has to work through something that is unwholesome in his consciousness about shoppers that he has to work through and we're not blaming a person for having unconscious issues that's not the issue that's the whole point here we're not blaming it could become a schus it's the honesty don't be perfect be accountable don't be afraid of saying I have to look beyond the surface I have to go in deeper and see what's really going on. Don't be afraid of it. That's the carbon counters, huh? That's often with a bigger battles. Like a wake-up call,
0: obvious.
1: We did something because we have the carbon counters. Something to be want to not have to be exactly right. Yeah. Well, the Shemeshmuel's time is that he had a shteikikus, and he even knows about the shteikikus. That's what's much more from him. And mainly he did it. He ended up doing do it. Your, you right? Do right? Do and look at the yeah, sickness. So that's, that's, that's more. Yeah, that's more. Even though there too, there too, it's not stopped. because as a result of the because now is a mistake. It means you unconsciously you got into this situation. So that's, that's itself is very Freudian, so to speak. And the look at the sickness of art is that it could be the whole desire is unconscious. It's completely unconscious. And it may even be deeper in many ways than the asha. It's more like a call. Right? yeah, and, and the Asham is sometimes even more harsh for the Chachos, because over there there's no not, not even a wake up call. <laughs> it's called repression, and the Asham Talmi is repression, and repression is worse because you're not even aware of it. Huh? How what? How do I know about Freud? <laughs> I don't know. How do you know about
0: it? <laughs>
1: Yosef, yes. Yeah. Who wrote the paper? <laughs> You're a psychologist? Yeah. Oh, okay. Give me your kind. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So you have three pchemas. You have a carbon asham. That's amazing. You did something amazing. Thank you, thank you. Tuesday morning, in the Here at Here, nine thirty. You have a carbon asham. You did something amazing. Consciously, you did something wrong. You have a carbon chatos. You did something b'shoygig. But now you're aware of it. So your unconscious has emerged into awareness and you're accountable for it, you do a kapara. You have an ashram, totally, here is repression. Repression is, it's unconscious, and it's repressed. Because you're not even allowing yourself to figure out if you did it. For sure. There's a suffix, there's a suffix. So you're still struggling, did it happen, did it not happen, did it happen? The Mare Mawil Katnulav Yuchas says that uh, when a person is to something, right? So either he did it, or he did part of it, or he has episode shukah of doing it. So if he has a suffix, there's episode shaykhis, but he's not letting himself become aware of it. In other words, there's repression, and repression, that's even worse. And that's why it's so shteidank. I like the, the is much
2: worse than amazing. It's what the doing. The problem is the Yeah, <laughs> of course.
1: <laughs> Mitzad <laughs> Mitz- the hate, Mitzad the of the hate, right? Mitzad <laughs> the hate the fact that there was a veridah on a conscious level, you can't compare it to a veridah. Yeah. not
2: worth. worth, Even though the that thing, say it's worth, because I have such a, it sounds like from the Sihah, C- from, what, 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 from the Yiddish, in that what I do, when I'm veridah, sometimes I'm lazy. I, 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 I see a gashmak, of piece of meat, I ask McDonald's. I, I did it, done. So it's a laziness, it's right. like a time limit. When Here, it becomes more it's Mohus, Mohus. Yeah. It's my Mohus. It just sounds like that. It's in the answer to the is worse than the amazing. Because I, I've been suffering with this Mohus for the last fifteen years, <laughs> as opposed to McDonald's, was an hour and I went and got the cheese, g- and I'm gone. But if I care, that's what I'm struggling with. Right, because right. It's worse.
1: I think there's two different chenis. In other words, the world of his galus. of course the it's the maze is far worse. Yeah. From the world of Mochus, from the world of essence, from the avoidance of Hashem bepnimius, the shogig is something concealed. So I think they,
2: this... Maybe be day There's an element that makes it worse. There's an element of that. that and also, be
1: Shemayim in the person. Be Shemayim in the person.
2: Right. Actually, that's why Hashem isach. Why not avoid it? Hashem isach. Yeah. 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 I think you know when That's
0: the, the That's the yeah.
1: Binyamin, Amram, Yishai.
0: Amram was the, last, Amram was the Yeah, even though told
1: Amram was the God of Amram was the God of Lhador, yeah. But
0: it's a good Shina,
1: why these four? The Nukudu, but the, all these four were...
0: <laughs> right.
1: Amram, relative to Moshe, was a parish. He was the Gadol Adar in the sense that he was the teacher. Right? But Amram was from Shevet Levi. He wasn't involved. It doesn't seem like he was involved in that Haga. He was the God Adar in the sense that he was the Talmud Chachem. He was, he was the leader in that sense as far as Gahdl, of Torah. Moshe <laughs> no. Adayin,
0: Adayin. Ba'aychaf simchus, ba'aychaf simchus. Yeah. Another question? Yeah, yeah. Go is ahead.
1: Israel, the Reise, are you saying Yeah. This Hefza, all they're going to have to do is for the rice And is A Hefza, it's still only for Jews. Why? Because the Hefza is always relative to the Galra. You understand? Yeah. In other words, if I have a certain blood type, so a certain food is not good for me. It's the hefts of the food, but only my blood type is sensitive to that type of Hefza. So that's a marshal by a Goya and a Jew. The soul of the Jew is sensitive to this type of Hefza. The soul of the guy is not sensitive to this type of Hefza. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You understand? Meshachachma? I'll tell you, the Meshachachma is in Pamatus. He just says this happened to him, look in Kedushin. This happened to him, look at Erecharetz. He's not... Uh, He doesn't say more. He just says it happened to him.